Thanks so much for checking out this podcast from Anchor Church Southwest. We really hope you're blessed by it. For more teachings, resources, or info, please check out our website, anchorchurch.com.au. And pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this new day and opportunity that we get to hear your word. And so we pray that you'd quieten our minds, you'll settle our hearts, help us to hear clearly your truth, and might we respond appropriately to your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you may know, if you've been joining us for the last couple of weeks, we've been going through John's Gospel, spending time paying particular attention to the I am statements that Jesus makes. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. And of course, this morning it is I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11. Uh, Jesus, in his series of I am statements, uh, uses these metaphors to express important truths about himself. And then he provides an explanation to unpack what he exactly means, as we'll see later. But the image of shepherd, of sheep, found throughout the Bible, uh, familiar to the original listeners back then, common in the ancient world, for many of us living in 21st century Sydney, it's very foreign, at least in my experience anyway. Um, my limited experience or anything that has to do with a lamb or sheep had to do with my mechanic mate who invited me on a weekend to four-wheel driving in the bush and he was a little weird. Uh, he had a pet lamb called Lucky and he wanted Lucky to come along and accompany us on this four-wheel driving trip. True story. Um, and my job was to have Lucky sit in my lap and make sure that Lucky didn't fall out the window except I had other ideas that Lucky might be better on a dish. But anyway, <laughs> he cared so much for this lamb called Lucky. And um, even though he's not a shepherd, but I could see the affection, the care that he had, the concern for Lucky, the lamb. Um, Jesus declares that he's the good shepherd. And in today's passage, there's only two points. There's no three points. I tried to look hard, could not find three points out of a sermon. And one is he lays down his life for his sheep. And the second is that he knows his sheep and his sheep know him. So the first one, Jesus, the good shepherd, lays down his life for his sheep. At least in verse 11 to 13, if you want to follow along, oh, there's not the passage on the screen or at least in your Bibles. Good meaning from that original translation of the Hebrew word, means intrinsically good, beautiful, fair, justice, care. And so when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, what he's talking about is he is the selfless, life-giving person who's only willing to sacrifice himself for the lives of his sheep. Verse 11. And then there's the opposite that we come across in the passage, in verse 12, there's the hired hand. And the hired hand, hired hand doesn't own the sheep. The hired hand sees the wolf. And what does the hired hand do? The hired hand doesn't stand and bang, as I would say, but flees and runs as far and as fast as they can. 
In the Old Testament, the Israelites, even those listening to Jesus back then, knew how important it was for shepherds when it came to the spiritual health, the moral uh, direction and the survival of God's people living under God's reign and his rule. Uh, for them, the word shepherd became synonymous with leadership, both politically as well as spiritually. And so throughout the Old Testament times in the Bible, God appoints a king, he appoints priests, he appoints prophets to lead, to protect, to care, to nurture his people. But as you might be familiar with reading your Bible throughout the Old Testament, king after king, priest after priest, prophet after prophet, they're only flesh and blood and men. And so they fail God and they fail their people. Some were very selfish, arrogant, full of themselves, proud, critical and even faithless. And here in John 10, Jesus is saying he will be a better shepherd, a better guide and protector than all those who came before him. As well as he was criticizing the leaders of his day, the priests, the Levites, the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders. You read the first eight, nine chapters, and that's what you come across. Jesus is constantly confronted with religious leaders who do not have the best interests of God's people at heart, but they're only looking after themselves. And so two things worth mentioning here is that, one, Jesus is the only perfect shepherd, the only supreme, the only perfect shepherd. And two, everyone needs shepherding. We all do. And so on the first one, Jesus is the only perfect shepherd. I don't know about you, what's your story? Uh, maybe some point along the way, you've been hurt, you've been let down, you've been burnt by someone, possibly even someone you looked up to, you respected, you thought had your back, and yet they failed you. And I'm not minimizing or dismissing your pain, but the reality is people fail us because we are sinful. We're broken. We have baggage. We have issues that are unaddressed at all levels of society and in community, whether inside the church or outside the church. That's why when there's a scandal, the media jumps on it. The public are outraged. And then the trial begins publicly where that political, religious leader, athlete or celebrity is scrutinised. Why? Because naturally we people look up to leaders whether we care to admit it or not. And society holds leaders at a higher standard. Whether you are a Christian or not. But that's what makes Jesus different, unique and perfect as a shepherd. When it comes to the people, his concern is not self-preservation. His commitment is not conditional. His calling is to serve, protect and provide for his people. That's what makes Jesus so unique as Lord and Saviour. Jesus is also the perfect shepherd because he's the only one who can meet, who can satisfy, who can plug that void, that desire, that longing, that want, that need that you've been looking for all your life. 
whether it's a good thing that God created or whether it's a bad thing that is an addiction, but behind all of that is a deep longing, a hunger, a thirst for Jesus. The second one, we all need shepherding. You know, when I spent uh, that weekend driving around in a four-wheel drive with old mate and his lamb, Lucky, I realised that sheep don't really have any natural defences like a predator. Uh, they are a prey species and the only hope of surviving an attack is to either run or stick together and hope for the best. And it got me wondering, you know, like as a kid when you're growing up, uh, the animals that you often, at least as a boy, identify with is a lion, a tiger, a panther, a cheetah, an apex predator. Am I not right? That's what usually you identify with. Strength, stealth, speed, supremacy, self-sufficiency, dominance, triumph, tri uh, independence, pride, rule, reign, glory. And that's why you naturally, as a boy, gravitate to these apex predators and you think to yourself, I'm a lion. At least in your mind you think that's what's true. And then by God's grace, Jesus comes along and he rescues us. He rescues us from our muck, our trouble in terms of, you know, the sins we've committed. And then suddenly we're told, no, you're not a lion, you are a sheep. And that takes a hit to the ego. Because we like to think that we're independent, we're self-sufficient, we got our act together because that's what we at least try to present in society on social media, but it ain't true. It ain't true. Because like sheep, our only hope of resisting and overcoming and surviving the attacks of sin, Satan, and the eternal, the sting of eternal death, it all rests in one person. And that has to do with the shepherd, Jesus. I don't like to think of myself as a sheep. I don't know about you. A sheep. A sheep that doesn't pose any threat. A sheep that happens to run when it is threatened. A sheep that its only chance of survival is to huddle together, is to stick together and just hope to God that they're not a statistic. And yet God says, you are my sheep. Jesus says, I am your shepherd. And I think to myself, boy, you've got to get a grip of yourself. Because you're not who you think you are. Get over it. Stop being full of yourself. Before God and his glory and his perfections and his honour is what? Me as a sinner who needs saving. Me as a sinner who needs shepherding. In the same chapter, at the beginning of John, chapter 10, Jesus uses another metaphor where he says that he is the door. And as the door, he is the one that welcomes his sheep home to eternal life in glory in heaven. But also, as the good shepherd, he leads, he guides his people every step along the way. And it may not feel like that some days where you are far from God, the truth is, he never moved. We well, may have, but not him. He is there every step of the way, my pilgrim brother and sister, right to the end, to the gates of eternity, but he'll never abandon you, 
nor desert you. And that is something we need to preach to one another and ourselves and be reminded every day that that's the God we believe in. Should be an encouragement to us all. And then Jesus goes on and he says, I am the good shepherd who knows his sheep and, his, and, and my sheep know me. In verse 14 to 18. This is the second time that he emphasizes what it means for him to be this good shepherd. He speaks here in verse 14 of that close relationship between the shepherd and the sheep that they all enjoy, share and have. It's close, it's personable, it's intimate. And the way this relationship works is that he knows his sheep, his sheep know him, just as they're this special bond between God the Father and God the Son in the Trinity. And in the same chapter, in chapter 10, Jesus says that his sheep, they what? They know his voice. They know his voice. He calls them by name and he leads them and they follow him. And apparently in the ancient world back then, it was common for shepherds to name their sheep. I didn't know this, but that's what they used to do. You know, I think to myself, they all look like sheep to me. How can you tell the difference between each individual sheep? But that's what Jesus is picking up on here. I am the shepherd, I know my sheep, and I know my sheep by name. True followers of Jesus also know his voice. Jesus said earlier in John chapter 10, his sheep will never follow a stranger's voice. In fact, they will run because they don't recognize that stranger's voice. And so one of the most profound experiences of being a follower of Jesus is to be fully known and yet fully loved. I don't know about you, but like in this world, if we're honest, because we're broken and sinful, you know, the one thing that we are fearful of is shame. And shame has been something that has been part of the fall from the beginning when Adam and Eve first committed that sin in wanting to be equal with God. We want to do away with shame. We want to hide our sins. We want to cover it. We want to avoid it. We want to talk about it. We don't want to speak it. We're so fearful. And that's why we have trust issues as well. Because we can't somehow comprehend, grasp in our minds sometimes how it is that someone like Jesus could know us completely and yet still love us. And that's a miracle in itself. And that's what the gospel is about, the good news of Jesus. That he would know who you are from the moment you were conceived. He will know who you are from the moment you were born into this world. And yet he still chooses to love you because he is gracious, merciful and compassionate. Jesus meets us where we're at. And despite our brokenness, his love is able to transform us from the inside out where he doesn't leave us where we were but he brings us to a place where we're brought into the light and we experience full life and we grow in his likeness each and every day it doesn't feel like that sometimes that you're making some sort of progress but that's what he's doing internally in our lives every day the love of jesus the good shepherd for his sheep doesn't end there because in verse 16, he longs to see other sheep. Not yet part of the fold, but they are brought in. Where there's this 
one flock, the church, under one shepherd, Jesus, listening to one voice, God's word, in unity, in submission to him. And here we see the heart of Jesus making mission a priority in wanting to see others rescued, reconciled to himself, becoming the children of God. God's people are not just called to gather on Sundays, as we're always reminded on a weekly basis, but we're being encouraged to be the church that goes out and where God's presence in whatever sphere of influence we're moving in, whoever we are interacting and engaging with in the community, in the workplace, in the institutions of study or where we find ourselves. A couple of weeks ago, someone in the industry I work with, he drove by Tower Street, the church, and uh, he saw what we now call the chapel, which is obviously painted black. So he googled the name of our church, then he turns up to work on Monday and he says, why black? And what part of secret society or Illuminati that you have joined? So what are you talking about, bro? He said, the church, it's black. And I said to him, first of all, I'm not part of the building team, so I didn't choose the colour black. <laughs> I'm part of the preaching team. But here's the thing, we're not the Illuminati. And you can come and join our secret meeting every Sunday and find out about Jesus. <laughs> Friends, people out there have no clue sometimes what we do in here. They have no clue what it is that we believe in when it comes to Jesus. But anchor Southwest. Like other Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, gospel-centered churches exist for the purpose to what? Introduce people to the great good shepherd named Jesus. And not just introduce them to the shepherd, but also be connected as sheep to that flock where they are doing life and community every week. Earlier on in the service, we heard in the announcements that GC, you know, like he's starting back up. Later, you know, like in March... And now has been giving me a hard time about, you know, being a part of GC this year. Um, but this is the thing. Accountability, doing life together, growing with one another as we seek to please God and live for his glory. The resurrection towards the end of the passage here is what, you know, Jesus touches upon. The resurrection is what the good shepherd Jesus has in mind when he says it twice in the last two verses verse 17 and 18, where he speaks about he lays down his life and then he takes it up again. When Jesus begins by saying, I lay down my life for my sheep, then he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know my voice, he finishes off with the hope of resurrection. Okay? You see, crucifixion, his death is not the end in itself, but it is looking forward to glory. And it kind of reminds me of Psalm 23, you know that opening verse, yeah? Where it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. Lack nothing. As in, God has blessed you and given you and bestowed upon you everything that you need in Christ Jesus. Sonship, adoption, you're an heir, you belong to him, he's loved, he loves you, and he's for you and not against you. He has forgiven your sins. He has sanctified you. And he has set you on the path to eternity. That's what it means 
to be someone who is not in want. Jesus is all we have, he's all we need, he's all sufficient, and he satisfies my greatest need. To be loved, to be known, to be accepted, to be valued, to have hope beyond the grave. <coughs> Last weekend I was in Melbourne visiting a cousin of mine, married, wife, young family. He's been diagnosed, diagnosed with cancer, waiting for chemotherapy to start. Yesterday I found out that my brother up in Brisbane, married, wife of course, young children, growing family, undergoing a form of chemotherapy that's not working after many years. And both men, by the grace of God, are Christians. They love their families. They would love to be healed. They want to be around to see their kids grow. They know that their health, that their life and future is in God's hands. Sorry, I've got a cough. But why is it that they are able to say, you know what, Sadie, live or die, may God's will be done. Because they know the voice of the shepherd and they are part of the flock. You know, when you work in an industry where you bury people every day, and today's the fourth sermon that I'm preaching, three other sermons I preached earlier this week, you know, at people's funerals, and you get tired, and you are sad, and you grieve for those who are buried without hope in Christ Jesus. They didn't meet the shepherd. They don't know what it means to belong to the flock. But when you hear men who are struggling to at least stay alive, and they say, may God's will be done, life or death, my faith is in Christ. That's what it means to know Jesus as the great good and wonderful shepherd and so my prayers my hopes is brothers and sisters of anchor southwest is that we will hear that great i am statement i am the good shepherd and that we will take heed and that we will rejoice and give thanks to the god who has sent his son to die on the cross and rise again that you will be known that he would know your name and that it will be written in the book of life and that we can do life with him now and beyond the grave in all eternity. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the great I am statement of your son, Jesus, reminding us that he is the good shepherd. Forgive us, God, when we have looked elsewhere and all we have been met with is misery, futility and disappointment. But we thank you that we can come back to you and with you there is mercy and compassion and forgiveness and hope. And so we pray, Lord, speak to us as you have and remind us of these truths as we step out this week that we are your people purchased at your blood, Lord Jesus, for your sake and glory. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>